Amen. <clears throat> well, good morning, everybody. <clears throat> there's a, I want to start off by just saying there's a terrible rumor going around that I'm going to cuss during my sermon, so I don't know how many of you are excited about that or how many of you are offended, but let me uh, neither affirm or, or disacknowledge that that's going to happen. Chances are I probably am. Um, <laughs> Totally exhausted. I just, yeah, didn't get to bed till 2.30. Got off work a little after midnight. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, just couldn't sleep last night. And I got to work later on today. Those are my excuses for why I'm going to cuss. But the good news is, is that um, chances are the word that I'm going to say, you, you probably heard it already. Um, there's even a greater chance that you've, you've said this word. And, uh, you know, if you know me, then you know me you know how I get down. So um, how about that, Ryan, when you listen to this later? <laughs> you can tell Ryan whatever you want. Um, I was praying about what I was going to say today and what God was putting on my heart. And the title of the sermon is, uh, Even When We're Not, really started thinking about that. Even when we're not, his loving kindness and faithfulness abounds. Even when we're not deserving, even when we're not prepared, even when we're not being used as we've been called, even when we're not. I want to rest <clears throat> in the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 36, and we'll be primarily just hinging everything on verse 5. But, um, God, Elliot's got me like pigeonholed here. I don't want to move anything, so <laughs> it's all good. I'm just making excuses for everything. Um, I want to read the 36th um, Psalm, reading out of the NASB, and the subtitle says, The Wickedness of Men and the Loving Kindness of God. I'm just going to go ahead and read through it. Trans transgression speaks, God, I cannot talk this morning. Transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for it flatters him in his own eyes concerning the discovery of his inequity and the hatred of it. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. He plans wickedness upon his bed. You are an amazing man, dude. <laughs> Sorry about that. He plans wickedness upon his bed and he sets himself upon a path that is not good. He does not despise evil. Your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings, and they drink their fill of the abundance of your house. And they give them to drink the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Oh, continue your loving kindness to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come upon me and let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. They're the doers of inequity and fallen. They have been thrust down and cannot rise. That's a pretty depressing psalm. <laughs> Everything except that um, verse five, this idea of the loving kindness of God, O oh Lord, extends to the heavens and the faithfulness of God reaches to the skies. 
you know, when Ryan asked me to preach, I was, uh, was super excited. I mean, as I always get, but if you're like me, you know, the idea of serving God is cool until you get right up into that moment. Um, if you, you know, if you've actually ever put yourself in that situation, like, um, when you're really stepping in what you have been called and created to do, like moments before, like, I just want to throw up, man. <laughs> like, I don't want to do this, man. So the idea of serving God is, is, um, is very enticing until you get put in that moment. Because then you realize that, you know what, you can't serve him without him. And, uh, you know, I, 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 used to, I used to love to speak. Well, I used to love the idea of speaking. I used to do a lot more of it before I got this weekend job. And, you know, the best part about this weekend job is that even though I get to miss you guys, which some of you, that's good. Um, you guys are out of it this morning is that I get to meet other people. Um, what I love about my weekend job is that we get this weekly email and we, you know, we have these um, job strengthening exercises and all these quotes and stuff that are going on. And it seems like I'm the only one that's sending them in. And one of the biggest things I know we struggle with is just judgment of people that walk in through the front door. That is probably one of my biggest failings is that as I'm working, as I'm tired, as I'm stressed, as I, you know, I'm trying to figure out life and everything that's going on and you're supposed to leave that at home as you walk into your job. I don't know if some of you guys can relate with that. There's just this certain type of person that starts to walk through the door and I begin to cringe. I begin to make this judgment. I begin to pass um, just, yeah, flat out judgment about how I feel about that person and how I'm gonna interact with them. But being in the business of hospitality, I have to wipe that away. And 99% of my time that I wipe that away, I'm, I'm being fake. I'm being fake as I'm engaging this person because I've already passed a judgment. I'm going to get to the point, and I hope that, that I'm not dragging on too long. I'm slowly starting to wake up. Is it someone who professes to have not only um, experienced the loving kindness of God and the faithfulness of God, but um, has learned about it and been privileged to teach about it, um, holds back and doesn't extend it genuinely to those who truly need it. I mean, that breaks my heart. That statement right there just, like, it makes me ashamed of myself. It makes me ashamed that I would meet week in and week out in a congregation of people that profess to love God and I love God and, and that in the very moment where I can extend the very thing that has been given to me, that I would withhold that from somebody because of a judgment I passed upon them. Aren't you glad that we're not God? Aren't you glad that, you know, that all the things that I hold against, you know, people, all the things we hold against people, man, that, that God doesn't do that to us, that it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. You know, when we speak of these things, it almost seems like an illusion. Yeah, we, we come and we're taught and words are broken down and, you know, in scripture to back up why we believe what we believe and how we're supposed to go forth and share that. But it seems like an illusion to me many times. You know, let's be honest. We have our own definitions. We have our own presuppositions. We have our own ideas of what this is supposed to look like. But honestly, for the most part, if, if, if we are being honest, it's pretty self-serving. It's pretty self-serving. It's God, what can you do for me today? Or maybe I'm the only one that does that. What can I get out of this verse for me? How does this, I mean, yeah, we're supposed to ask how it changes us, but if it doesn't move into the next stage, then it's totally self-serving. 
How do I go forward and benefit those? How do I, how do I reach those that you have blessed me to come in contact with today? How do I reveal that which has been revealed to me? But now we tend to ask, how is this going to serve me first? How am I going to feel better before I go and approach somebody else? I mean, as I started to think about the message, like how do, you, how do we begin to fathom, how do we begin to conceptualize this idea of the loving kindness and faithfulness of God? Well, hopefully I'll be able to give you an idea of that in a minute. Um, again, as I said, I, I meet people on the weekend, and some of them are, are less favorable than others, but for the most part I have very great conversations with people. Um, I meet the wounded, I meet the broken, I meet the entitled, I meet the deranged, I meet the perverted, whatever Christian word I want to slap on there to make it feel like I'm doing ministry and I'm attempting to reach them. But honestly, um, I've learned in the last year of where I'm working at is that I'm really no different than the people that I ascribe these, these labels to, these titles I'm really no different than them. The only difference that I, that I have that we should have is that we have a faith. And one of the things I've realized is that I am, I'm horrible at sharing that faith. It's very easy to come in our little comfy cottage. It's very easy to come within the walls of the church and talk about things that we all agree on or maybe you disagree with me, you know, but it's very easy to come into this, this sanctuary and hide out and forget the fact that, you know, there's a world out there that's, that's screaming to know about these things that we profess to know, that we profess to, to live out. Am I making sense? Well, it's a little heavy this morning. Um, it just blows me away that even when we're not, he is. That's the basis of it. Even when we're not, he is. I got to, I got to sit last night. I, I chose to stay a little later after work and, and sit with a guy. And um, I've been totally blessed by this guy, knowing him for <clears throat> about a year. And I got to sit with him last night, and, and uh, I basically went over my sermon with him. I was sitting in a chair after hours, and I got to go over my sermon with him, and it just... Um, it blew me away as I'm sharing constantly my, my failures with him and where I struggle with people and how I dislike them and how I've made my judgments. He told me, he says, you know what, man? He says, I see your, your faith at work every single day. Every time we come together, man, I see, I see your faith at work. And I'm like, nah, man, you're, you're looking at something else, man, because I'm not the one, dude. And he's like, nah, man. And this is a guy that doesn't believe like me. You know, it, it, it basically brought me to tears last night. I'm just sitting there and I was like, man, you know, here I am trying my hardest to do something for God and leave it up to God when, you know, he just does it through me, which totally moves me out of the equation, right? But just because I'm willing, just because I'm obedient, just because I'm putting myself in that situation, man, leave it up to God to do something through me without me even knowing. And what a blessing it is when somebody sees it and calls it out, especially when you're, you're tired, especially when you, you don't feel good, especially when, like I said, you've made that judgment and you've said, that's not somebody that's worth going across the street for. Come on, we have to admit it. There's, there's people every single day we pass by and you may not say it verbatim, but you know what? You are saying it, man, that that person is not worth going across the street for to reach. 
because I'm too busy, because I'm stressed out, because I have other things to do, because I don't feel a warm fuzzy in my tummy, you know. Thank God that even when we're not, he is. The other day I was, uh, you know, I had a little bit of time off to kind of hang out and, you know, rather than sitting there with a bunch of books like I normally do and, and going deep into these hours of study and, and, you know, harping on different words and stuff like that, I decided, you know what, man, I'm going to grab me a cigar. I'm going to jump in my car. I don't know if you don't, if you don't approve of that or whatever, we can talk about it later. <laughs> if I'm going to cuss, I evidently don't care what you think about my habits. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying that to be a smart aleck. I'm sorry. But yeah, I, I grabbed me a cigar and I cruised over to Sonic and I got the best drink in the world, the cherry limeade, you know, Route 44, happy hour. And I just jumped in my car and I cruised. You, come on, you guys know I'm like an unorthodox pastor, so just, <laughs> I see the judgment right now. <laughs> um, yeah, and I just cruised around. I, I, drove, I drove down Wads all the way past Alameda, and I took Alameda down, and I went into, um, you know, deep into Colfax, and, you know, then I wrapped back around another neighborhood. So I, I feel like, you know, I went through Lakewood. I went through Arvada. Um, you know, I was all over the place, and what I was doing was I was, I was looking with the eyes of God that I, I normally make an excuse to dismiss the things that I see. I drove around and I saw, you know, the very first thing that I saw was a, a very large African-American woman that looked like Rambo. And uh, I mean, she had on the fatigues the whole nine, but she was, you know, cradling underneath her arm a tall can of, of alcohol and um, just thought, yep, that fits the bill. Um, I saw a couple of people kind of conspiring in a corner uh, as I go and visit Kim at work sometimes. There's a little Arby's right there off of Colfax and there's always these guys that are sitting underneath this tree and you know, I'm looking at them again, trying with the eyes of God, but basically what came across is they're probably thinking about where to get drugs and, and what to steal. Um, but then I drove around too and I'm, you know, I get cut off by the guy in the, in the Beamer, you know what I mean? And I'm like, you entitled son of a, no. I'm not going to use that word. I got a better word for later. But I'm like, you know what, man? You know, you didn't even use your freaking blinker. Like, what's the matter with you, right? Um, and I'm getting angry the whole time as I'm supposed to be driving around and I'm supposed to be in prayer and I'm supposed to be in meditation. I'm driving around and I'm doing the same thing that I do every single day. I'm, I'm withholding the very things that have been given so freely to me. And I'm hating so deep in my heart that I just wanted to like, I just wanted to go back home and just ignore society until I had to deal with it again. Um, but as I started to drive around, that's when I felt God say, you know what, even, even though we're not, even when we're not, even when we can't, even when we'll never, even when we don't or won't, thank God he's still God. I looked around and I said, God, how could you possibly love us? And I mean, it wrecked me to my core again, like the very first time that I asked that question. How could you possibly love us? But I, what I realized is 11 years later, as I was really asking, how could you possibly love that? Because I'm not as bad as that. How could you possibly want that? Isn't that a horrible thing to think? Come on, we all have people inside of our lives. You know, I've talked a lot freely about my older brother and, 
and how, you know, oh man, even just talking about him, I'm clenching a fist, you know, and it's like, yeah, how do you love that? And I read this verse and it's like, you know what, man, my love only extends as far as I can throw a rock. My faithfulness only extends to as far as my level of comfortability. But thank God that he, that he loves beyond that, that he's faithful beyond that. And the psalmist paints this picture that it, is, it extends, you know, greater than the heavens and the expanse is greater than the sky. You know, this idea of that it, is, it goes far beyond our ability to see. We can't see all the way out, but we know it's there. And more than we can, we can take in at once. Again, like I said, I had all these word studies, you know, on Hesed and, you know, all this Hebrew and stuff like that. But the point is, this is just stuff that we drum over again and again and again. And in that moment, it comes down to it. Are we going to be, are we going to be faithful? Are we going to be an extension of God's love? Are we going to be the expression of what he is and who, uh, who he is and what he's done in our lives? Or are we going to retract because we don't feel like it? Totally blows me away that um, the very grace that we should be extending to other people, um, we rely upon in our failings. The very grace that we should be showing to other people to bring them into the fold and explain who God is and why we do what we do is the very excuse that we make when we fail. I got a story that I want to share and... Um, this was, this was years ago. I was, I was in my early 20s and um, was highly addicted to methamphetamine. I was, um, you know, just a raging alcoholic. I was, I was on the run from, I had a warrant and they were looking to take me in custody. And I was, I was hiding out with a friend and this friend had kids. And um, one of the social workers needed to come by one day and kind of check on and make sure that she was doing the right thing because she was an addict as well. I remember waking up in the morning and she says, hey, you got to go. And I was like, where am I supposed to go, man? Like, I don't, I don't have any money. I don't, I don't, I've burned all my bridges and, you know, it's over 100 degrees outside and like I'm really not doing that good, you know. And she's like, it's not my problem. You got to get out of here, man, because if they come and check my house and find you here, they're going to take my kids away from me. It's okay, fair enough. You, you've laid your case out. So she gives me a couple of bucks, and I start on this 10-mile journey, basically. I left the house at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I started walking around, and very first thing I did was hit a liquor store. Got myself a styrofoam cup, and I got myself a beer, poured it in there, and I started walking. I figured what I would do is I would just walk to the next liquor store and get another beer, and then walk back to the liquor store again and go back and forth and back and forth. Um... Can you imagine? I mean, I, I never even thought about it at the time. I was so self-absorbed and consumed with my addictions and where I was at. But can you imagine what that must have looked like? It was a pretty predominant area. Probably made the wrong choice walking through that neighborhood. Pretty affluent. The houses were really nice. And people were probably driving by like, geez, man, look at this guy. He looks like the walking dead. And he's probably drinking. I mean, look at the way he's behaving. Um, it wasn't until, you know, a couple hours later that I, I had to use the restroom. And because of the way I looked and because of the way I smelt, I wasn't allowed in any establishments to use the restroom. And that's understandable. Um, so I found the most convenient spot to urinate. 
And you're like, wow, what does this story got to do with being in church? Well, I hope I'll get to that point. Sorry, man, it's, things, things are real, things are raw. And so I found two bushes up next to a building and I proceeded to head to that way and begin to urinate on the side of a building. And a young man comes out and catches me in the process and he's like, hey, hey whoa, you know, what, are you, what are you doing? Nothing. <laughs> what am I supposed to say? I'm peeing on your building? Um, sorry, I neglected to mention that it was a church. So here I am urinating on the side of a church and I get caught by this young man and the very first thing that I think is, well, he's gonna treat me exactly how I deserve to be treated. He's gonna run me off, he's gonna call the cops, he's gonna tell me that I'm a piece of whatever for doing what I'm doing. I mean, who pees on the side of a church in broad daylight? Instead, he actually engaged me, he treated me like a person. Here's a 17-year-old kid, I'm in my early 20s, I'm high out of my mind, I'm drunk, and I'm hot, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I just, I don't know what's gonna happen, I don't know what my next move is, I'm living minute to minute. And this kid had every rhyme and reason just to dismiss me. And he begins to have a conversation with me like I'm a real person. Probably the first time in a long time that I had been able to have a conversation like that. And remember, he introduced himself and he said, hey man, why don't you come in and get something to drink? Come and get some water or something. So I went in and realized that they were setting up for a service. Now, mind you, I wasn't religious at all at the time. I really hated God. I was probably more of a devil worshiper than anything, so it's kind of awkward. I mean, if I wasn't burning up and thirsty, I wouldn't have gone in. But I go in, the guy sits me down and says, hey, you're more than welcome to hang out in here. And I'm like, God, man, I smell. I'm, you know, I'm drunk. I'm under the influence, man. Like, I know it. I, I know I don't deserve to be there. I don't deserve to be treated nice. And this kid just kept freaking loving on me. And I had no idea why he was doing this. I didn't put the connection together that he was, he was at a church and maybe he believed in a God and maybe he was actually doing what God had called him to do. And I told him, I said, I can't be here, man. I got to go. And he says, well, you know what? You can come back later. We're having a service and we're having some food. And I said, yeah, man, we'll see what happens. So I left and went on and I got me more beer and I kept doing what I was doing. And, you know, I just said, I'm not going to pee on that place anymore because <laughs> they want me to go to church. <laughs> I don't want to do that, right? <laughs> um, seven o'clock rolled around and I had nothing better to do and um, walked in and they had a baptism service going on. Um, there was some beautiful music coming from, you know, the open doors and I walked in and on this massive stage, they have this um, like stainless steel kind of trough looking thing. And, and they're pumping these people out, man. They're bringing them up and they're, you know, do you, you know, profess to love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ and blah, blah, blah. And they, you know, and that's how I heard it. I'm not being disrespectful. It was blah, blah, blah. And they're dipping these people and this kid has me sitting next to him and, and something hit me for a moment. Something hit me that, you know what, this idea of God became very tangible for me. What was happening in the midst of that service was starting to affect me. And I didn't want to change. And so I got up to walk away and he, he followed me out and he says, man, don't leave before the change happens. And I'm like, yeah, here we go. Bro, I got stuff to do, man. You don't know me. He ended, up, uh, he ended up giving me his phone number and his address. And I said, you know what, honestly, man, I'm on the run. And, you know, it probably won't be long before I end up back in jail. And he says, well, you know what, well, give me a call and, uh, and maybe write me or something. I got arrested that night and um, got put in county jail. And uh, that was one of the only pieces of paper they allowed me to take in. 
I began to write this guy for six months and, and he wrote me back and, you know, the stories that he told me at 17 years of age, this kid's writing this, you know, career criminal, man. He's telling me that he's in, he's in different countries and he's helping other people. And it was just blowing my mind. And deep down, honestly, I was writing him to see what I could get. You know what I mean? I was assuming he's going to put some money on my books if he come and pick me up or whatever the case may be. You know, my, my intentions were not pure, but he just kept writing me back, kept writing me back. And, you know, the interesting thing was is that, yeah, it took me years. It took me years after the interaction with this guy. I've never seen that guy again. Um, I firmly believe that, you know, this whole idea of paradise and, and you know, when my end of life happens that I'm going to see him again. And I'm going to be able to thank him for not doing to me what everybody else did. It was years later, I didn't even realize I'd, I'd, the Lord had done a work in my life and I met this guy and he asked me to come um, to teach a group of kids at this church and um, I took the position, I went through all the background checks and I'm in the room getting prepared. Um, I'm getting prepared to welcome in these 20 kids and I realized it was the same church that I tried to pee on. That, I'm, that God would bring me back to the same place. The same place where I was, I was broken, where I was out of my mind, where I was disrespectful, where I disregarded him. And even when I was at my worst, he would bring me back to a place where I would recognize how great he was and how much he loved me and how faithful he was, even when I was the most least deserving. I taught there for two years and every time a new wave of kids came to this program, I would always start by saying, I pissed on this church <laughs> and now I get to teach you here. <laughs> That's not the cuss word, by the way. <laughs> that is a bodily function. That is not a cuss word. Um, Sorry, I'm just I'm very, very emotional right now. I need to, I need to laugh a little bit. Um, but yeah, I would say, man, I, you know, you have no idea, man, the depths of God's love. You have no idea how far his love extends and the expanse of his faithfulness. You have no idea that he would bring back somebody like me to a place where I tried to destroy and allow me to share his life. You know, Ryan asked last week in a sermon, he said, who in our world do you hope God does not show compassion or grace to? You know, I listened to that for a while and I thought, wow, that's, that's an interesting question, but it doesn't apply to me because I don't, I don't think like that. But I do. I think we all do. Like I said, you know, we make our excuses and they're, and they're valid. I don't doubt for one minute that you can't validate your reason for it, but honestly, think about it. Who... Let's rephrase it. Who have, you, who have you neglected to show compassion to just in the last week, in the last day, in the last hour? You know, I mean, it, God constantly reminds me how much I fail my wife. Constant reminder of how when I'm, when I'm tired, when I'm, when I'm stressed, how I can be rude how I could be short, how I can be insensitive, how I can be all these things, how I could, 
withhold from somebody that I promised to love my whole entire life that I could withhold compassion from her. But I don't think about it because I want to err on the side of grace. Now, I'm not saying we're supposed to dwell on those things and I'm, you know, I'm supposed to beat myself up and, you know, all that stuff. But I, from, you know, the very person that I spend my life with, I probably withhold grace and compassion from the most. But then there's those that are truly in need that we come in contact with. Even as I'm waiting to come here, I had a very valid reason. I needed to get here, and God has set me up for this moment to preach. But I watched a guy right there on the, on the corner of Wads and 70, and he's literally tearing apart this piece of cardboard, and he's pulling a marker out of his bag, and he starts to write something on there, which I can only assume that he needs some kind of help. And the only thing I can think was, wow, that's a pretty nice marker. <laughs> For a homeless guy, which that's what he said, homeless, please help, that's a pretty nice marker. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you got the money to buy that marker, maybe you should have bought some food. Like, do you see how, like, I'm just being honest with you, how my mind works. And maybe you're a better person than me and you don't think like that, but Ryan put it this way, who in this world do you hope God does not show compassion or grace to? Or let's put it this way, who in this world do you hope that God does not show loving kindness and faith, faith to? Think about it under your breath. Some of the things you've said about somebody, what you're essentially saying is, God, I want you to withhold from them. I want to see them suffer a little bit because of what they've done to me. <laughs> Glad that we have a God that loves us even when we're not. <clears throat> As I was preparing for this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up right now, um, a friend of mine who I've, I have over the years just grown to disagree with his theology and how he does things. He's super old school. Um, he rarely posts, he's an older gentleman. He rarely posts on Facebook, but of course, you know, I'm scrolling through and whatever. And he posted a portion of a hymn that just blew me away. And as I kept reading it, I was like, man, this is exactly what, you know, what I'm, what I'm thinking about this idea of like, you know, God's loving kindness extending to the heavens and, and his faithfulness reaching to the skies, man, this is, you know, beautiful, beautiful hymn. It's from, um, the love of God is greater far. It goes like this. It said, could we with ink the ocean fill and the skies of parchment made where every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. The idea of the ocean being ink, the idea of every stock being a quill, and the idea of the sky being a parchment. And if every man grabbed a hold of that and began to write about the love of God, he would drain the oceans dry, he would use up every quill on earth, and he would, he would run out of room in the expanse of the sky. When speaking of the love of God, it just, it gave me chills when I when I read about it, I was like, I want to dig a little deeper. Like, who, who would write something like this? Who would be able to, to put into a just beautiful words the idea of the depth of the love of God? There's a gentleman in the early 1900s um, named Frederick Lehman. And it was interesting, as I started searching it, said that he would love to take credit for the full three stanzas of this, of this hymn. But the last one, he couldn't. I don't know if you guys have heard about this. Essentially, the last part that I read is the third stanza was found etched in the wall of an insane asylum. 
there's multiple reports and I read through as much as I can to get, you know, um, as much truth as I can. But you can, can you imagine somebody that was mentally ill, um, locked in a room, pulled away from society because of his ills and what was going on and, you know, probably in some kind of straitjacket or whatever the case may be. And in the midst of his insanity, having a moment of clarity and writing something of this magnitude. It made me think how quickly we dismiss those people that we've passed judgment upon. Wondering if these amazing truths of God rest inside of them, but because we've passed judgment or we've, we've made an assumption of their worth, we dismiss them. How do we look upon another man of God's creation and have the nerve to pass judgment and not offer the very love that has been bestowed upon us freely? I think about everything that I've been through in my life and, and I've shared my story with you guys and I was that insane man. My conversion story is I was in a cell very similar to that man. I was in a straitjacket. I was, I was out of my mind and if it wasn't for <clears throat> that moment of clarity, if it wasn't for God being exactly what I needed him to be when I needed him to be that, then I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. If it wasn't for me sitting in a cell and having a moment where I said, you know what, I don't wanna effing be like this anymore. I'm not gonna cuss, I'll get in trouble. <laughs> and Kim told me they'll take it off the post anyway, so <laughs> I'll cuss at you guys later. But can you imagine, like seriously, like I'm, I'm, in, I'm in this jail cell, I'm the same as this guy. I'm the same as this insane guy. I've been totally dismissed. I've been locked away. I've been thrown away. You know, they've already assigned a value to me. They said, this guy is worthless. This guy's dangerous. This guy's trouble. I'm going to do whatever I can just to separate him from us. And that God would still find me in that moment. It's easy to say that that takes the responsibility off us reaching people. But you know what? It, the responsibility, responsibility is still there because I shared about this kid, Josh. And what Josh did for me may not have worked in that moment, but it echoed throughout my life. The visible expression of God may not have worked in that moment for me, but it echoed throughout my life and has become a huge part of my testimony that in the very moment that I should have been dismissed, the very moment I should have been reprimanded, the very moment I should have been cast away, that this guy would ignore all that and give me what I didn't deserve in the most opportune moment. And that's, that's what we're called to do. That as we go forth from this congregation, as we go forth from this meeting, that we are to reveal to the very best of our ability who God is in our life. So much so that when you're, when you're doing it it, it, it may feel like, you know, you're going through life, but, but somebody is noticing. There's bills out there. My friend that I talked to last night, man, that are watching, they don't believe, but they're watching our every movement and they're taking notes. Who do you have in your life that if they showed you the notes on what they see, what would it say? What would it say? I sat in a cell and I screamed in my insanity, I didn't want to effing be like this anymore. And many people in this world are screaming something very similar. 
and we're commanded to reach into the mire and invite them out to reveal the loving kindness and the faithfulness of God. I'm going to invite Elliot back up and we're going to get into some worship so we can reflect on what God's doing in our heart.